I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. How are you, Gary Jr.? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Well, we're in the midst of the final. We're finally here, the finals. Here we are. And um, it's going as, for me, as scripted, Gary. I, I um, felt that Denver would be um, a team that would overwhelm either the Celtics or the Heat. I know you disagree on the Celtics part of it. But uh, I'm not surprised by the outcome of the first game. We have not, as we're taping this, seen the second game yet. But uh, what's your general comments at first, Gary, about the playoffs and the Nuggets making it for the first time? It's good to see well, them there. Mm-hmm. Well, just in general, uh, you know, the Denver Nuggets have, have been the most complete team. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, knock on everything, they've been very healthy, which is great to see. Um, you know, it's great to see uh, the finals with two healthy teams. I, you know, I think as fans, we want to see that. We don't want to see the, the final determined by injuries like it has been that's, in, you know, years past. That's, uh, so that's, the, so that's the first thing. The second thing is the fact that, you know, and we're going to talk about this, especially if the Nuggets win the championship, the fact that Denver has gone through some really good teams and really, um, you know, well-known players to get to this point. So, you know, they played extremely well, and they did a great job against Miami in game one. They, it, because Miami, as I thought would be the case, is just too small. Mm-hmm. They're just too small of a team. And they're going to have this issue throughout the entire series, even if, you know, and I think you you agree with me here, uh, you know, to play Kevin Love at this, you know, at the quote-unquote center spot and have him guard Nikola Jokic and then have Bam guard Aaron Gordon, and mm-hmm. then have Jimmy guard Porter um, is the best matchup for them. But even if they do that, they're still too small. And that's yeah. the same. And that's going to be the issue throughout. And, you know, I'm glad that this era of basketball is ending, which is let's go throw out a six, seven center and see what happens. I'm <laughs> glad that era is ending because big men do win championships. Because the and it's not just big, it's not just big men. It's big guys in general because they, you know, a lot of teams play a switching defense. So having you know bigger, longer guys are better than having a bunch of you know six four, six five guys or six nine, six ten guys weighing one hundred eighty pounds. Brooklyn Nets. So that's exactly what um, the Nuggets, you know, and that's how they built their team. And Miami is going to have problems with this because it's not going to change throughout the series. So I'm not surprised with how game one went. Uh, nor am I, Gary. And I think that also the rest factor played a little bit of a role in it. Not much, but a little bit of a role because the Nuggets were, I mean, extremely well rested. And you could, you could tell that. And obviously, uh, I think that first game being in Denver, the elevation, I, you know, granted they've played there before, but still that first time you're there, even though they got there early, they got there a couple of days before I heard, um, you know that that also played a role, and I think the the Heat the, the Heat learned something from that game. You know, they learned something from that game, and one is the fact that they do have to go bigger. You know, and I think hopefully Harrow will be playing uh, 
you know, uh, in this in the second game, uh, he gives them a little more height at the guard position, and and they have to get uh, Kevin Old Man Love in the game. I mean, they have to uh, to play him. You know, granted, he was not able to handle the the the, uh, the playing time that well when they played. They played against the Celtics, but a totally different animal there. You got someone like uh, the Joker, who's more like Kevin Love, you know, old Kevin Love, basically, uh, you know, big guy who played center and but could shoot from the outside um, and didn't jump that well. So so I think that they will heed that uh, knowledge and, and get him in the game and maybe start him. And and I think that would be a big plus. Plus, he's, he's about seven feet tall, just almost the same height as the Joker as well. So they definitely need more more height, and they they really have to go to the basket more. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I complained about the fact that in the Celtics series, it seemed as though the Celtics were on a free throw line every two seconds because they were just going there and flop whenever they got into the paint. And I said, the Heat's just, just not getting many free throws. Well, you know, if you don't go to the basket and you just throw up threes, you know, you're not going to get many free throws. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just that simple because people take the odds that you're going to miss the three. Um, after all, sixty percent of the time you do, and that's the, even uh, even if you're a great shooter. So I hope that they learn that lesson and try to go to the basket more. But you have to remember, Gary. You know, Denver has two guys, not one, the two guys. Neither one of them a center who will erase you. They will block the ball when you go to the basket. You go to the basket, we that ball is going in the stands, and they have no problem throwing them in the stands. Porter. Or Gordon. I mean, they have they have excellent explosion on there. Obviously, Gordon is a <laughs> you know slam dunk champion. He's got to get really get up in the air. But uh, Porter has a quick jump, and he can get up in the air as well. And that's what's Gordon. But you don't have to get up on so high to block a shot. And bottom line of it is, they're terrors at that basket. So yes, they got to get to the basket more so they can at least contend for a free throw or free throws. But um, you know, it's going to have to have a, a totally revamped game plan as far as I'm concerned for the for the Heat to even. Now I'm, I predicted already they're going to lose in five. For for to even go five games because I don't see them winning game two. Now, obviously, when this is broadcast, you'll know, folks, whether that we're right or wrong. At least I was right or wrong. But the bottom line of it is it's not going to go that long, and it's um, it's just because of that one simple factor. Nuggets are better. Let's <laughs> you know, so just call it like it is. <laughs> well, it's not just it's not just that factor because because uh, Boston was better than Miami, um, Milwaukee was better than Miami, and the Knicks were better than Miami. And, and Miami <laughs> was you know somehow got to this point because they shot extremely well from the three point line. So that's not that's not the main thing. You know, Miami, I, I I almost concur, I concur to to a large degree on that. Miami they were a true eight seed. In other words, there were seven teams better than they were. So, but yeah, they're in the finals. So. Well, I don't think there were seven teams better than them. Brooklyn was not better than them. Um, you know, there were some teams that. Yeah, I hear you. I, you I know, just and, yeah, so they they were they were probably the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference, and okay. and you know that's where they belong. And and if it wasn't for the Kevin Durant trade, um, Brooklyn would have been below Miami. So you know, cause Miami was the seventh seed, you know, before the playing tournament. Yeah. So you know, and you know, and. I said this in previous pocket. I thought Brooklyn would fall down to the playing tournament and end up being Miami staying in the playing tournament situation. But let's see here or there. The Denver Nuggets, you know, they do, you know, they have decent rim protection, but it's not great. And that's where you can attack this team. 
but again, the Heat are just too small. Porter looked like he was blocking his, you know, his son's shot when guys were <laughs> going to the basket. It, it just, it, it's just, it's not, you know, it's not fair. It's a bad matchup for the Miami Heat. Um, but the Heat had a bad matchup, whether it was going to be the Lakers or the Nuggets. It was going to be a bad matchup because they're too small for the Lakers too. You know, yeah. the only team that probably would have given them a better matchup would have been like, you know, and I'm thinking about the entire Western Conference, would have been a Phoenix or a Memphis or someone, a team that's built like that. You know, Memphis is big too. They, you know, they've got injuries. Yeah. But that's that's a type of team that Miami could have played against. It would have been better for the NBA Finals if it was Boston because Boston can match their height a lot better. Yeah, they could have. But it's just going to be tough, um, you know, for them to win this series. You know, if they're going to win it, they're going to have to shoot extremely well from the three-point line. But yeah. even Denver, you know, Denver shot very poorly from the three-point line as well in game one. So that, you know, you know that's going to change as well. I believe they only hit eight threes. And yeah. You know, they're eight for 25, something like that. So it's going to be something that, you know, that's going to be a, a major factor. But Jimmy Butler has to be more aggressive. And they're going to have to find a way to get some mismatches with him on Jamal Murray. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it shouldn't be that hard to do because LeBron James does it every game. Uh, so you know, just you know, keep setting picks until you get the right guy, and then just run at him. Yeah, so that's you know, that's, that's well, what you can do. Yep, I agree. Let's look at the individual stats in that first game, Gary. Yeah, the Joker played an outstanding game. He had twenty-seven points, fourteen assists. But you know what also would would catch my eye, Gary, is not only did the Joker have 14 assists and 27 points, but Jamal Murray did this almost the same thing. He had 26 points, one less than the Joker, and he also had double figures in assists. He had 10 assists. So <laughs> you look at that, you go, oh, boy, that's pretty good. And then... I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the Joker had a triple-double because he also had 10 rebounds. Now, I didn't lead the team, but if 10 rebounds is 10 rebounds, uh, Michael Porter had 13. But um, that's, a, that's a fantastic game, 27, 14, and 10. Mm, I'll take that any day of the week. And as far as, uh, as, far as, as Murray's concerned, he is, uh, he's definitely you know, demonstrating to the – country how great a player he was but gary you reminded me that in in college he was something special uh, you know i i, I kind of forgot about that because kentucky never really you know the, the players didn't stay long enough to, <laughs> to really show what they could do nor because they had so many great players on their team no one got that many minutes so you couldn't average a, a zillion points a game but you're you're saying the other day that uh, that's not the case in the case of murray yeah, Jamal Murray uh, averaged 20 points a game, which is the highest amount of points um, a Calipari uh, player has averaged since he's been in Kentucky, and it's Kentucky's record for most points average in the season. So, no, you know, Jamal Murray is a very talented player. I'm not going to go as far as the media is going right now, you know, and he and because of this, he may make an all-star team in the future. But Jamal Murray, I think, has been rated. When you look at the top point guards in the league, he's not a, you know, he's not in there. He's the next group of great players. What I mean is, he's not Steph Curry, he's not John Morant, he's not Dame Lillard, he's not, um, you know, Luca plays point guard. He's not in that group. He's in the next group, you know, and he's always been in that next group. But you don't need him to be Dame Lillard. 
you need him to be Jamal Murray. And, and that's mm-hmm. what he's doing for the Denver Nuggets because he doesn't have a real ego because he knows he's not that, that guy. I'm not saying that Dame and those guys do have egos. I'm saying that the role that, that Jamal Murray plays, Jamal Murray is perfectly fine with. Nikola Jokic bringing the ball up the court. Yeah. That's something that that's some of the guys I mentioned, they're just not comfortable with. Nope. He's able to play without the ball, and, he, and you know, their two-man game is extremely tough to beat because Nikola Jokic is such a great passer, and he makes some shots that you just can't guard. Yeah. So, you know, we're, you know I'm very impressed with Nikola Jokic, and when we finally get a chance to do the show or where we think Nikola Jokic is, is uh, ranked, I think on both of our lists he'll be a lot higher than we had him before the year started. I agree. You know, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a nickname for these guys. I mean, it's not that original, but I think it fits. The Joker, Batman, and Murray, Robin. I mean, they are probably, right, obviously right now they're on, on two teams left in the playoffs, so good along with the Heat, one of the two teams. Uh, but still, when you think of those two, as powerful as they are and as a unit, they play so well together, but that's because they've been playing together for so many years. Uh, you know, for most of their mutual careers. They are like Batman and Robin. It's like when one guy, they just know where the other guy is going to be. I mean, it's it's really beautiful to see, Gary, because, yeah, you can see it between Steph and, and you know, at, at one time it was, you know, they called the Splash Brothers and all that. But, no, it's really beautiful when you see a center and guard have that type of exchange where one one is cutting to the basket, one is doing that. You know, it's not like, you know, one one guy is wide open, so he, so you throw the ball across court, and then he takes a shot. And the next time, the other guy throws the ball back to you, you take a three point. It's not like that. It's like you know the beauty of of basketball, you know, of of cutting and passing and getting open and setting screens. I mean, it, it is just uh, it's just a beautiful thing to see, and I, and I and I hope that the fans are are enjoying it for 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 that from that aspect because you know we don't see that too often. You know, it's been a lot of. Um, you know, just pound, pound, pound the ball. You're right. From the point guard perspective, Gary, you know, Murray has no problems not bringing the ball up the court sometimes. You know, he doesn't have any problem whatsoever. And, and there are a lot of guys who really would have a problem with that. You know, you know so that's being one of them. But anyhow, I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't trying to mention names. I was just, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was just trying to make a point. Well, I, I don't think, as far as the heat, heat, heat would be concerned, I'm going to, Jump back to the stats for one more second. You know, Bam did come to play. You know, he he had he had a good game. He had twenty six points, thirteen rebounds. In fact, uh, and five five assists, and and that's a solid game. And we had, quite frankly, we haven't seen him play like that in quite some time. I'm talking about the Celtics series. If he can put up numbers like that, uh, you know, repeatedly, uh, it's, it's it's definitely going to uh, um, be a tremendous help to the Heat. Will they win the game? I don't. Once again, I think they're going to lose in five. But, uh, you know, it's good to see him be that assertive. Uh, and, and he's going to need to do that in, in the next game and then for the balance of the series. Uh, Jimmy Butler did not have a have a great game, Gary. And, and yeah, you know, we're going to definitely see him bounce back uh, sometime during during this series. You know, he's not 28 anymore. You know, so this guy is you know, he's getting up there in, in age and having uh, great back-to-back games. It's kind of hard for, uh, for players as they – Get older. I, I also like the fact that Gabe Vincent, Gary, the, the, the free agent, I love free agents. The free agent who plays for the Miami Heat got five threes. He led the, he led all players with threes that uh, the other night. Um, 
So he had a he had a very good game. Lowry actually had three threes. So we'll see what happens uh, tonight and 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 this in this game and game number two. But it's gonna be it will definitely be an uphill battle for for the Heat. But as you mentioned before, who would have thought the Heat would be here? You know, so it's not like everyone said, yeah, I think the Heat's gonna go all the way to the finals. No, I don't think there was three people who said who, who would say that out of the East when you had Philadelphia, you had the, you had the Bucks, and you had the Celtics all very having outstanding seasons with superstars on their team would whatever be looking at the finals all three teams and their players um and the heat would still be playing so i don't think that many people would have would have made that prediction but um jimmy buckets has, has really performed well and and i think they've been very well coached up until this point yeah, so from the Miami Heat perspective, they're going to have to shoot extremely well from the perimeter. Um, they kind of let Bam score all those points because Nikola Jokic is not guarding him. He doesn't really care. And, and but Nikola Jokic can't defend him anyway. So that's that's going to be Miami's issue is if they're not used to playing through Bam out of Bayou, that's not his role on the team. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, when they get Tyler Hero back, the ball movement uh, may, uh, may stop a little bit. So they got to figure that out as well. Miami has a lot of issues going on, but I think it's going to have to start with Jimmy Butler being a little bit more aggressive. This is a bad matchup for Jimmy because this is not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, guys who are his size. Aaron Gordon is 6'9", and and, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. is 6'10", and long. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be a lot harder for him to get to the basket, but he's going to have to find a way to draw the defense in. And they're going to have to find a way to use the fact that Nikola Jokic can't guard anybody on the court. They hide him. Uh, so you have to take advantage of that. So, you know, Miami's going to have to do a little bit of both. And they're going to have to start running a little bit more. Um, when they do that, though, you know, that's going to lead to what Denver wants. Denver wants to run up and down the court. Uh, but, you know, they're going to have to try to find a way to do that because they slow the game down and play in a half-court setting. As a smaller team, they're going to have a lot of issues. So they're going to have to run and hit a lot of open threes in transition. And I think Martin's going to have a much better game. Uh, Caleb Martin, Gary, he's a solid player. But oh, I'm sorry, he's is he injured? No, he's not injured. Is he? No, he's fine. Okay, I'm so sad. I thought, I thought I saw somewhere that he was injured. So I think he's going to have a real solid game, and uh, I, I I really expect good things if he does play for Hero as well. I think that he uh, he could definitely put that ball in the hoop that's for sure and you know we'll see what happens for for uh, for game two so gary how about all the uh, coaching changes now P- people are uh, i don't looks like musical chairs to me you know it's the same guys different team but but uh, what are your comments about some of the changes we've, we've we've witnessed and one guy is actually still i guess outside looking in well well first i think it's great that uh you know that these coaches are quote unquote getting another chance because a lot of these coaches they just had to leave the team they were on because they just needed a change of scenery all these coaches have either been to the nba finals or won an nba championship and all of them but the but one of the two coaches that's out there and you know we'll get to him in a minute i'm glad he's still out there um (laughs) you know we'll start off with the you know with the main you know the smaller quote-unquote news and that's the fact that monty williams is now the highest paid coach in the nba what he did not he did not want to be, you know, he did not want to go to Detroit, but Detroit raised the, you know, they gave him an offer. He quote unquote couldn't refuse. 
So now he's in Detroit, and I think that's a great move for the Pistons because he, you know, he is a leader of men. Monty Williams is, and he mm-hmm. does, you know, he, uh, he does deserve respect when he's in the locker room, and he gets respect from the players. Um, he used to play in the NBA himself, so he, you know, he understands, you know, the way the game works, and that's mm-hmm. going to be great for the Detroit Pistons, who have, you know, the Pistons' whole roster is full of. Uh, lottery picks that are under the age of 25 so i don't know how you know the pistons can't win any games oh wait they probably didn't pick well guys got hurt but they're gonna have to find a way you know to get it going they have the fifth pick in the draft this year and you know they're gonna be you know they have to get better on the edges i think they need more veterans and they need Kay cunningham to be healthy i know the nba doesn't show the detroit pistons which i think they should show every team in the nba because every team has talent just that they don't promote their talent. That's why, you know, for us um, and for a lot of people out there, no one really saw the Denver Nuggets like that because they never showed them. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, Detroit's not too far off from making a playing tournament run. I think Monty Williams was the right fit um, in that role. Um, do you have any comments on, on the Monty well, Williams thing? Happy for him, Gary. I think that uh, the year that Phoenix went to, uh, oh, the finals, not the, they go. They went to the finals one year. He, he he did an exceptional job during that year, and he won. He was coach of the year uh, at that time. Um, you know, he's old. He's a Maryland guy, Gary. He's, he he played for um, for Oxen Hill in Maryland, and um, was obviously a great high school basketball player and um, a small forward over at the University of Notre Dame before going into the NBA. And he's been coach of the year, 2022. He was coach of the year. And it's a big contract, six years, $78.5 million. That's, uh, you know, I can think of better places to go, but still, that's a, that's a hell of a lot of money, and you can't say no. So I I, I think that uh, the big – well, I think both both sides would benefit from it, but the Pistons have a have a jewel, I think, Gary. I think he, I agree with you. I think he's going to do an excellent job with that team. Um, you know, obviously, uh, there's some players there. Um, he can – help develop some of those players. There's no question the Pistons will be patient because they may as well be. You know, what else are they going to do? Uh, so I'm, I'm happy for him. Yeah, not just that. Uh, uh, Dwayne Casey, who was the former coach, is now, uh, you know, he's in the front office, and we know he helped make that uh, make that decision. And plus, Monty Williams went 8-0 in the bubble with the Suns and just missed out on making the playoffs that year when they were in the bubble. So, you know, he, you know, with Devin Booker and all those guys, he definitely knows how to, um, you know, lead uh, men and, you know, and get the most out of their talent. Unless your name is DeAndre Ayton, then he can't <laughs> do that for you. But I don't know if anyone can at this point. Yeah, but was... uh, the second the second move, which I think was a little bit bigger, which won't help this team at all, and that's the 76ers and Nick Nurse. Now, why mm. do I think that won't help, um, help them at all? Is because it's not the coach, it's the players. And they're going to have to find a way to show some effort. Joel Embiid historically kind of, you know, can be a little last of days to go on the court. And that has to change. Effort needs to change. And James Harden chokes every time it's a big game. So the Sixers didn't have a coaching issue. But now we'll talk about it, I guess. I am happy that Doc Rivers is is not a coach in the NBA at, in the NBA at this particular time as we're recording this podcast because – He's not a great coach, and I think that's what people need to understand here. But he's underachieved everywhere he went, including Boston. Mm-hmm. With the Orlando Magic, 
you know, we know what happened where they could have gotten Tim Duncan and he screwed that up. And then, unfortunately, Grant Hill got hurt, so that wasn't his fault. Then he goes to Boston, and with the big, you know, really with the big four, he only went one championship. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Boston Celtics were a great basketball team. I get one year Garnett got hurt, uh, but they should have won more than one championship. It was it's inexcusable that they only won one championship with Doc Rivers. Then he goes to the Clippers, and I thought the Clippers were an overrated basketball team, but, you know, with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and they came and get out of the second round. Well, that's a failure. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to Philly, and they can't get out of the second round. <laughs> yeah, that's Doc true. Doc had the guy out of the second round since he was in Boston 10 yeah. years, about 10, 11 years ago. He has the most 3-2 losses in, you know, in the history of the NBA as a coach, and he's lost more game sevens, I believe, than any other coach. But yet he's a top 15 coach of all time because the media loves him. Doc Rivers is not a good coach, and and I'm happy the Suns didn't give him um, that uh, um, that job. He doesn't deserve a job at this point. He's taken a few years off, and Doc has to prove himself again. You know, same thing with uh, with, with Mike Budenholzer. I think Mike Budenholzer deserved a job over over uh, uh, Doc Rivers. Maybe you know he's just taking a year off, but Doc needs to take some time off as well. But uh, when it comes to the Sixers, the Nick Nurse uh, hire, it's going to change a whole lot for them. To, you know, they, Their problem was not X's and O's. Their problem was team effort. And Nick Nurse, to me, is not a real great motivator. He's mm-hmm. more X's and O's guy. And it's going to help them from from the standpoint of during timeouts and you know certain plays I'm in the game to get a, you know, a last-second shot off. But it's not really going to help them in, you know, in any other circumstance. Okay, I kind of kind of disagree with you to a certain degree. I I, I like uh, Nick Nurse. I think that he um, he very, not that you you're not saying you don't like him, but I, I like the fact that he kind of came up the hard way. You know, he played uh, he played basketball, uh, college basketball, in Northern Iowa. You know, the Panthers up there, and you know he 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 played in the um, British Basketball League. But he coached forever. You know, he coached forever. He started in, in 1989 coaching the assistant and, you know, he did the, he did the, uh, you know, the G League and, and he's worked his way up as a coach. And I, that Rapture team, he was an assistant there for like five years and they were, they were always very solid. And to me, they were never, as far as talent wise, you could say, oh, they had quite Leonard something. They had this guy, but they had the, but they were just, to me, I never saw them as being a team in which you're going to, that you would say, Whoa, there's three Hall of Famers right there on that court. You never had a team. They never were a team like that. And then he he also proved himself with, with coaching them for for that five-year stint in which one of those years they won the, the NBA championship and also he was coach of the year. So I I, uh, I want to give some kudos to to, uh, to Nick Nurse. I think it's a it's a good pickup for for the for the 76ers cuz to me the 76ers didn't use all their talent. They went so heavily toward Embiid that if Embiid didn't pull out, feel like playing that day, <laughs> they were going to lose. And, and and you said it, Gary. Sometimes he just didn't feel like it, and he and he just basically showed everybody he didn't feel like it. Now I know I had him as MVP from the beginning of this season, and he did become MVP. I'm, and I, I hate to be throwing mud at him at this point, but the bottom line of it is, sometimes he kind of checks out. He just says, "Well, okay." We're gonna lose, and we know about James Harden and his attitude about in game. So, 
And they had players that could play. Maxie can play. They had, they, they had a number of players on that team who could actually play solid basketball, but they did not develop a team-type concept, something that we're seeing every single day with the Nuggets. We're even seeing it with the Heat, quite frankly. That ball-sharing aspect in which they wouldn't depend on just the ball sinking in them being, and being taken whatever shot he wanted, three-pointer, driving to the basket, pull up, whatever, playing guard, playing what didn't make any difference before Embiid. But they, but every time Embiid, Embiid just kept the ball, all their other players just watched. And, and I think they need to have a, more of a team type of, of, of aspect to the game as far as uh, defense as well as from an offensive perspective. And I think Nick Nurse can do that for them. So do they have um, some fundamental problems in that team? Yes, they do. But do I think that coaching can help? I do. I do believe that, that a coach can't help. And this guy has proven himself to be a winner on, on various levels. I mean, the only level that counts is the NBA. Um, and he's proven that. And I, and, and I believe that he, he's, he's proven it both as an observer, that being an assistant coach, and he's proven that as being a head coach. So not sure how much they're, they're paying him, but I think that they got someone that's going to be a, a big help to their team and I think will help the 76ers. I agree with you, Gary, on, on, on Coach Rivers. I, I think that he does need a little break. I think that that, that is letting them get recharged because, uh, yeah, I, I do think that he, uh, if you, you can say overrated, I think he was somewhat overrated as a as a head coach, uh, and he he does need a little break. I, I disagree with you on the on the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that guy is a much better coach than 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 Doc Rivers, and I, I hope that he uh, lands a job soon. Hopefully, if he should want one, um, you know, sooner than later. Well, that's what I said. He is a better coach. Um, oh, you did much better. Okay, he's a much better coach than yeah. Doc Rivers. But um, at this point, uh, for for the listeners, we why we're saying um, all that is because at this particular time, the only other team that has an opening is the Toronto Raptors, and they seem like they're they're trying to rebuild, mm-hmm. and they may not want to get a veteran coach in there. They may want a younger uh, a coach to lead that team. Um, at the Milwaukee Bucks, you know they're not rebuilding, but they got a young coach as well. Uh, but but real quick, let's touch on the other team, uh, the Phoenix Suns. Oh yeah. Hiring, hiring Frank Vogel as their coach. I think it's a great move for them. I think Frank has a lot to prove because the Lakers got rid of him for no reason. No um, reason. <laughs> I, I think for some reason, you know, uh, Frank Vogel is never any team's first choice. So I think he has something else to prove there. And I think, uh, you know, I think Kevin Durant and them, you know, they'll listen to him. Uh, you know, he's a player's coach. Uh, they got to make some changes to the roster. I think he's better with, you know, more role players and having a bunch of 3 and D guys, which Phoenix doesn't have right now. Uh, the Phoenix Suns really need to get some guys like the Denver Nuggets have, guys that just want to play their role and not try to be stars. But, uh, you know, they, that's a roster thing. But I think Frank Vogel will do a great job in Phoenix. Um, they'll definitely play better defense. They don't really need a whole lot of offense because they have it already. The Phoenix Suns uh, made their assistant coach the highest-paid assistant coach in the NBA. Uh, he was one of the guys that were up for the uh, uh, the head coaching job, so they just basically paid him a whole lot of money to stay and not follow Monty Williams because he's considered the offensive guy. And, and him and Devin and, and Coach Young and Devin Booker can't think of his first name. And Devin Booker are uh, are really good friends, so. All in all, I think Phoenix is going in the right direction. Uh, I think Frank Vogel will do a great job there. And all, and already he gives the Phoenix Suns a little bit more 
uh, help in the postseason because he's more of an X's and O's guy. And he also started, um, you know, from the bottom per se. Yeah. He started off as a, um, oh man, what's the word? Uh, as a, a guy looking at tapes and mm-hmm. stuff like Eric Spolster did. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like Frank Vogel and I think it's a fantastic pickup for, um, for the Suns. And I do believe that all of the players, the superstars on that team will highly respect him. You have to, uh, he, he is a you know, NBA champion himself and during that bubble year of it, you know, so, but still bottom line of it is he's an outstanding uh, coach and he pays, paid his dues. You know, he spent time as an assistant with the Celtics for three years and 76ers for a year, for four years with an assistant for, for the Pacers before he finally became a head coach in 2011. So um, with the Pacers and then the Magic. So he, he definitely has the, the, the type of background that would, uh, would would put him in a position where he could lead a team to another NBA championship. And unlike, unlike Detroit and, and to a certain degree, unlike Philadelphia, uh, I think the Heat, I mean, the Suns are a lot closer to getting to the finals next year than then it's the best coaching job, I think, <laughs> because you have a you have the best shot at getting to the finals when you're coaching this the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> I agree, it's the best coaching job, but it's also the hardest coaching job. So we're out of time for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Welcome back. How are you, Gary Junior? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm doing very well. Doing very well also. Yes, finally heating up here. And uh, as far as the temperature is concerned and heating up as far as the NBA is concerned. But, you know, Gary, um, you, you have any questions for me to start the show? We see what direction yeah. we want to go into that today. I'm open. So, to, so today I would like to talk about politics because a oh. lot of things have been going on this week. Okay. Um, and I wanted to know, you know if you have any comments on the President Trump situation, former oh, President Trump situation. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a it is a historic time, Gary. And I am funny you should mention this topic because I'm actually literally writing the column uh, for it right now, and I wasn't sure whether or not it was going to be on the uh, the former President Donald Trump situation, and and then I don't know words just came to me, so I started putting things on paper. So it probably will be, and as you know, Gary, my column comes out every every Wednesday evening. It's kind of a funny type situation where I really submit it Wednesday after four or five o'clock, and then we finish it whenever. Yeah, so because editors have to look at it and all that. So, and sometimes I put two in the can at the same time, not not you know sure about which one I want to go with but right now I, I think I'm going to go with one that has to do with the Trump situation because it, it is very historic Gary um it, the, the nation's at a at a crossroads so to speak um we've never seen a, a situation where the leading candidate for a political party has been um, has been arrested now that won't officially happen until until early this week but it's it's uh, it's going to happen. He has been indicted on thirty seven or so charges, um, and that's a, that's a lot of charges. And each one could well, he could be one hundred and thirty, I guess, by the time you get out of jail, convicted on on all of them. Um, you know, may not be convicted on any of them. We'll see how things work out here. But it's um, it's one in which when you look at 
the various TV shows, uh, you know, the Democrats and the liberal media, you know, they're like uh, popping champagne bottles and I, it, it's, which is, I think kind of sad. And I think that, um, the whole situation is one that will affect all of us potentially, not just one political party over the other, but when you have a person who is clearly the front runner for one of the two parties being, uh, being arrested, it, it's, um, it's, it's, it brings, it begs the question, or, or, or would the DOJ be interfering with an election? So that's uh, obviously one thing that I will, will, will talk about in my column this, this week, but I will also do a general analysis of what took place, Gary. And I will also look at, uh, what will happen next? What will happen next and what should happen next? I'll get into that as well in, in the column. And then uh, talk about the seriousness of it. And, you know, always, Gary, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't really wear a Republican or a Democrat hat. I try to wear an American hat because uh, what's important to me is that um, this country moves forward and that um, we don't have a situation where our enemies will take advantage of us and hurt us, and and I'm I'm both sensitive to that, I'm very sensitive to what what's happening with with uh, some of the some of our foes, international foes that are out there, and to me that that takes um, priority over one man, <laughs> so and one man should not be allowed to determine the fate of 320 some odd million Americans, especially when he's not in office, and especially when he's not a clear and present danger. So um, that's my bigger bigger concern and uh, and granted uh, the election is important because that's coming up in 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 2024 uh this arrest i've talked about it in one column is it one time i I wrote that um it's like arresting the bartender on the titanic for spiking drinks you know or for watering down drinks yeah guilty but don't you have more important things to do? <laughs> you know, so, because you're on the Titanic. You don't realize that the iceberg's all around you because you're too busy going after that bartender who's watering down drinks. And and so that that's that's one of the aspects. And I, I um you will will probably talk about that in in the column to a certain degree. Um but you know, no man's above the law, a crime's a crime, but uh, we have to we have to understand that um, jaywalking is a crime too. And, and you know, we don't uh, get too carried away with that crime because of one reason. That reason being nothing really happened. You know, so other than you're jaywalking, but if it affects traffic or someone got hit or if the cars went on through, that's a part, then, you know, you got problems. Person should have, uh, have to suffer a penalty for that. Um, fine or arrest or whatever. But you don't see a whole lot of people getting arrested for jaywalking. But, because it doesn't really change the, the life of people or change the status of things. So I'm going to be as, as, as I always think I think of myself as being, as, as being uh, not partisan in this, but trying to really analyze it and hopefully uh, will give my readers something to, um, to think about. And hopefully um, if there's any ray of, of uh, light that would show, a way in which we can get to that next step in a positive way, you know, maybe I'll throw out a recommendation or two. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have any, I'm working on it right now, but it's a very serious matter, Gary. And it's something that uh, you could say everyone kind of anticipated. I mean, he had 
he's already been indicted up in New York with uh, the DA up in Manhattan. But uh, no one really took that that seriously because it's over a porn star. I mean, uh, and whether or not he paid her off the proper way to his campaign or to his personal fund, you know, I think everyone has already said who the hell cares. But um, this is different. This is a totally different type of situation and far more more serious than how he paid off a porn star. Now, there's other ones going on as well, potentially. You have uh, the January 6th matter before a grand jury in Washington, D.C. that the people are watching to see what will happen there. After all, many of the people who participated in that January 6th episode up there, right, or whatever you want to call it, um, sedition, whatever you want to call it, um, they got arrested and they have been sentenced. So uh, it's it's a, that's an, an issue that uh, uh, Donald Trump could be associated with in a criminal type manner as well. And then last, and I'm not, not none of these are at least, I'm not putting them in any priorities other than the one that happened this past week, because that's, that does come to the top of the top of the food chain, so to speak. But the, uh, the one that I'll mention last has to do with the, uh, the Georgia situation, which uh, has some ties to uh, um, trying to get officials to uh, change the election in some shape, form or fashion. Uh, I think the quote was, find me, find me X number of votes. Um, that kind of flippant remark from a guy who never was in politics until he was in politics is something that um, people say, you know, people say, I got to find some votes. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that you want to cheat and find some votes. It just means you, you're down X number of votes that you need to make up. So that's, I think that's going to be somewhat of a, of a stretch of the three or four or five, whatever situations that are going on with Trump. But um, I, I'm most concerned about uh, this country and, and, the, and the threats that we face as a country. I, I believe that the, what's happening at the border is nothing more than, than an unconventional manner of war. You know, it's, it's, it's just as Gary. And, and, and you have to remember that when people have won wars, they've won it. Big wars that are historic wars or big battles that are historic battles. They've won it via the use of unconventional means. Okay. When Goliath went up against David, he didn't go up there with a sword. He didn't go up there with, with a helmet and all these other things. No. Goliath who stood, I don't know how tall, eight, nine feet tall, walked toward this kid, didn't even have any armor on or anything. And David was fine because David had an unconventional weapon. His unconventional weapon was a slingshot and a stone. Hit the guy in the head, hit Goliath in the head, knocked him down, took his, took Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. Who saw that happening? Nobody. Now, who, getting back to not seeing anything, not seeing it happen until it happened, you have the, the, just the case of the Native Americans. They had their bows and arrows. They probably had a, a zillion bows and arrows. They probably could have won every bows and arrow war in the history of man. That's how many bows and arrows they probably had. I'm making this up, obviously. But it didn't make any difference because the Europeans had what? Gunpowder. <laughs> so in a gun, you know, that speeding bullet analogy, will defeat a bow and arrow. Okay? And that's what happened. And that, that was an unconventional method of winning. The Europeans did not come over to the United States to, to, this, to America and say, okay, let's go, let's duke this out with bows and arrows. No, they did not. They did something that the Native Americans had no idea was coming, and they did it. Another example would be World War II. The people had no idea 
that American had America had had a nuclear weapon. They were duking it out with tanks and duking it out with ships and duking it out with planes. Well, the United States has ended it all with an unconventional weapon, that being a nuclear bomb. So I see this this method today, Gary, of, of what's happening at the border as being a true crisis in the war, an unconventional war, where people are just coming across the borderline. We have no idea who these folks are. We have no idea what they're bringing with them. We have no idea about anything. We don't even know where they are in America. No one would have ever thought 10, 20, 40 years ago that we will be in a situation today where our borders are not being protected. So we have very serious matters before us. And I'm just, just, just going to leave it on, on at that point, Gary, and, and, and say that you know, the, Trump is Trump. Okay, that's the situation. That's something that's going on. But we, we really have to have to not think that the bartender is going to, the rest of the bartender is going to change America. We cannot think that that um, you know all these people coming across the border are coming across the borders for good reasons that they're coming across the border because they're looking for a better opportunity you know we have to we we can't be that stupid because many of these people are coming across the border because they don't like us and they want to do bad things to us face it you're going to be naive enough to think to not think that. And the way Biden and, and, and Harris are handling this is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I, I'm telling you, if Dwight Eisenhower were around today, if John F. Kennedy were around today, Lyndon Johnson were around today, Brown, you know what they all have in common, Gary? They're all ex-military guys. They're all military guys. And they would never, 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 never allow this to be going on that we're seeing there. But we're worried about the bartender. So I, I, I just want to make sure that People understand that, unfortunately, some people are great politicians and they play politics too much and try to have that upper hand politically and can get use of the media to help them with their upper, upper hand because the media will just regurgitate what they say over and over and over and over again. And you think that, you know, the world's going to come to an end if you don't do something with that bartender. You know, and the bottom line of it is, <laughs> the bottom line of it is we have very serious issues confronting us in America today. I, and one of my other columns, Gary, I'm going to digress one more second. You know, President Biden told us that sanctions were going to work and prevent Russia from going into Ukraine. Didn't work. They went to Ukraine. Then you say he never said that, but bottom line of it is it will, it will help stop, stop the Russians. Never did. $40 billion later, and thousands of lives later, the war is still is still going on in, in Ukraine. And so, you know, it's um we have some serious issues, Gary, and and, and I just want to uh, let my listeners know that in, in this week's column I will take on the Donald Trump uh, such matter. And I believe and I hope that they will find it insightful and helpful in their deliberation as to the pickle that we're in at this point and how um, God willing we can we can make lemonade lemonade or just turn it around in some shape form or fashion at least do what we need to do to make sure our country is protected that's the most important thing as far as I'm concerned so President Biden trying to convince America that these sanctions were so magical CNN last weekend came out and said, in fact, they showed a map. 
And when I looked at the map, Gary, I saw all, I saw like the whole map was like red. And then at the top of the map, it was a little green. And the top of the map, it said countries that do not support the United States on sanctions on Russia because of their invasion of Ukraine. And the moderator said, that represents between 60 and 70% of the world. It's not with the United States. So Biden has united the world against us. <laughs> That's what he's done. Oh, wow. We, we, we got the world behind. No, you have white people behind you. You have Europe behind. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And you're supposed to have NATO behind you. If you can't get NATO behind you when you're part of NATO, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I mean, we're not technically. Yeah, we are part of NATO, so to speak. You know, whether we're officially. Yeah, here we are. We are. So bottom line of it is. Bottom line of it is, you can't get NATO with you. <laughs> but 60 to 70 percent of the world is not supporting us on this Ukraine situation. So we have serious, serious problems. And they've united Russia and China as well against us we're to the point where they won't even take Biden's call. The president of China, premier, the, the leader of China, the leader, they won't even take his call. And don't even get me started on the fist bump with Saudi Arabia, the major producer of oil. You know, it, it's it's really, really a precarious time for us. And we're worried about the bartender watering down drinks. You know, we should be worried about those icebergs that are all over the place. All we have to do is hit one of them, we have a problem. And so, Gary, that's that's the uh, kind of a big the beginning of what the I'm not sure if I'm going to have that in the column, ladies and gentlemen. As I said before, I'm just writing it right now. So, but I did want to kind of touch upon some of those points. Many of them I've actually uh, talked about, or I should say, written about in my past columns. Where you can find my columns, by the way, and, and trip. Just Google uh, my name, Gary Frankson, under Tribune Content Agency. That's who I uh, work for. Uh, they're part of the Chicago Tribune. And um, scores of papers. I'm not going to get how many how many papers, but there's a lot of papers that I'm in nation, nationwide. And and uh, you can get at least the last six or seven or, or eight of them if you just go to uh, to Tribune Content Agency. Um, been doing this, as you know, Gary, for about two years now. It started because of... Uh, I started writing columns because of George Floyd. You knew, you knew that, right, Gary? That that's one of the reasons why it, that was my first one that I wrote? Yes, correct. I do remember uh, when you even started writing it and how excited you were to write, uh, to start writing, because like it, um, it was during the pandemic time. That's right. A, and it yeah. was a great uh, time for you to just sit down and just get all your thoughts together. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, obviously it was a tragic situation, uh, George Floyd. We, we had started the uh, podcast around that time as well. And uh, you guys encouraged me to put down some of my thoughts on paper. And, and the Boston Globe decided to run it. So, um, and one thing led to another. And now, oh boy, I guess in, in two or three years, that's, that's a lot of columns. I guess over 100 and, between 100 and 150 columns I've written over over that time that time period so um, i'm not sure if you can find them all by doing, uh tribune content agency um and with my name but you you can you know obviously go to my 
Twitter site, they have all of them, or go to my Facebook site, they have all of them, or go to my LinkedIn site, they have all of them. You just scroll down and you'll see them all. So, is there something from your columns that you also want to speak on? Well, um, you know, Gary, I, I talked about um, Associate Justice uh, Clarence Thomas and, and, and my strong um, regret of, of supporting uh, Justice Thomas for his um, confirmation. And, and you could say, well, you're a congressman, you don't get involved with confirmation. Well, in this situation, I did because I was the only black Republican in Congress at the time. And now there's a, there's a number of black Republicans in Congress, Senate as well as the House, thank God. Uh, but, but at the time, there was nobody. And, and so if I had spoken out against Clarence Thomas, it would have been a, it could have been, I'm not saying it would have been, but it could have been a problem for the Bush administration. And so I, uh, I more or less uh, strongly asked to uh, have a chance to meet with him and to interview him more or less, and also to um, investigate his background. And I endorsed him because he did work. It seemed as though he was working hard to clear up the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's backlog of lawsuits against major corporations and government government agencies. And I applauded that. I thought it was fantastic because getting a settlement is a lot better than going through the um, the jury process and the trial process, which can go on for for quite some period of time. So he did a good job in cleaning that up, and I came out right after and endorsed him. But what he has been doing of late, Gary, and I'm not getting into uh, some of the pe- some of the things that have been in the news as far as people compensating. I guess I'm getting into it. Uh, people um, doing things that have been that have been questionable. So I'm not going to get into that. But, but the bottom line of it is, I went to a conference, a three day conference at the old Parkland Conference in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I've been thrown out of places, you know, I don't, I don't brag about it. There's nothing to brag about. But, you know, the Congressional Black Caucus gave me the boot. And this um, was very similar. To, uh, you know, I said something, I questioned people, and they asked me to get out. <laughs> so <laughs> now you can say, wow, how did you do? Well, what was happening, Gary, is that some, some Asian Americans who were suing Harvard and UNC were part of a panel. And I think these were the actual plaintiffs, even though their names are not known. But anyhow, they identify themselves as the actual plaintiffs of it or representatives of the actual actual plaintiffs. And they're trying to to remove race as a factor in admissions and, and, and colleges. And, you know, it's a creep and, you, you know, you keep creeping. All of a sudden you have no black. It's back to, to the days of the 1960s when you had Governor George Wallace standing in front of the University of Alabama saying, you know, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Well, what did that mean? That meant no blacks at Alabama. And this was a creep toward this effort that they're making is a creep toward that. And they basically said it. They basically said black people should only go to HBCUs. Why? Because it's better for them. What? Why? Because uh, they feel more comfortable there. And then they also got into that they would probably do better at those those schools. So I got a little upset with that. So uh I just forcefully um, addressed the issue with them in front of a couple, maybe a hundred people or so, and 
they had it all on film so people can try to go find it and you'll see that i handle myself like a gentleman i believe uh though i was accused of not being too kind to those individuals who were on the stage but i think i was the fact that they couldn't handle the questions not my fault the fact that they had no response is not my fault the fact that they looked bad after getting the questions is not my fault but so you know, their, their, their response, the leaders of the organization's response was to ask me to get out of town. And so, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> that's in one of my columns. And, uh, you know, I thought about the whole thing. This was after having lunch with Clarence Thomas and along with eight, nine other, eight other people in which I thought I was going to throw up at the table. It was so bad as far as his berating of black people. And I had to set him straight because he was absolutely wrong. He was wrong on so many accounts. And I was not going to allow the other eight people at the table, all of them, most of them white, to, to think that this guy was telling the truth. I was, I was at Yale when he was at Yale. But he was in the law school. I was in undergraduate school. And I listed, list, I gave a list of black individuals at Yale who had done phenomenally, phenomenally well. And the parents thought, oh, well, black people were struggling. No, not the guy who finished, not the people who finished in three years. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the guy who went on to become a Fortune 500 CEO chairman. <clears throat> not the guy who went on to become one of the world, world's best neurosurgeon. <clears throat> not the, I mean, I can go on now, now. So the bottom line of it is, I, I said, and, I said after that session, Gary, and after I realized that the next day that this was really nothing more than a rally for folks who were against black people being in white schools. That's all that it was about. And that's what that's what they all believed. They all believed that that they were doing they were really doing what was best for black people by not allowing them to go to black the white the white schools. Keep in mind that in integrated schools, the history would show that when black or people of color go to schools that are integrated, guess what? They do very well. <laughs> and for black people who go to school that are segregated, don't do as well. Now, that's because of the 1954 Brown versus the Board of Education decision. They knew that back then, about 70 years ago, that separate but equal, guess what? Does not work. <laughs> that's clear. You're on the Supreme Court. You are justice. You are supposed to be upholding the laws. That's one of them, which says separate but equal does not work. And what these folks, part of that old, old Parkland Conference crowd were trying to trying to say, is that separate but equal was all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You know, it, it, to me, it's, it's, uh, it was so, dis, so despicable. Yeah, I can use comparisons, but I want to be kind. But the bottom line of it is that the Supreme Court, the other members of the Supreme Court, listen to anything. Listen to it. I mean, anything that Clarence Thomas says on race and takes it as a as as the gospel and takes it as this is what's good for black people. They're crazy because the man is on a different planet when it comes to black people and the black experience and reality, as far as I'm concerned, because what I heard at that table, it didn't match reality. And what I was hearing at that conference did not match reality. It matched what they wanted to portray, but it did not match America. And everything that they were saying, I mean, everything they were saying on that issue would only result in fewer black people going to the top schools. And why is that so important, Gary? Because of the wage and income gap that we already have in America, it will get worse. And unfortunately, I know this for a fact because I worked for Fortune 500 companies. 
we only recruited at the top schools. That's it. So if you wanted to work for top, one of my, one of the companies I worked for, Continental Can or Cheeseboro Ponds or whatever, you know, companies I work for, you could not if you went to a certain school. You never had an opportunity. You could send your resume in blindly. Good luck with that. But you'd never had an opportunity. When we set up, I was in charge of the college recruiting program for one of those Teesboro Pond thing. It was, yeah, I think Unilever. Now it's part of Unilever. I set up the schedule for, for, for the colleges we were going to go to with the guidance of the chairman of the board. We only went to the top schools. And we paid them very, very, very well. But if you went to another school, it could be a good school. I'm not saying that there's a negative. I'm not making the other schools and turning that into a negative. I'm just giving you reality. The top companies that pay the big bucks do not go to certain schools. <laughs> okay, they only go to the top schools. So what do the Asian Americans? What does Clarence Thomas want to do? Stop blacks from going to the top schools. What is that going to result in? The wage and income gap for black people is going to get wider. The opportunities for black people are going to get fewer, be fewer. And George Wallace is going to get what he wants out of, out of his grave. So these people must be stopped. And I beg the Supreme Court folks to realize that don't use the 14th Constitutional Amendment against black people. That is, that, that, that's like so cynical. It's like, it's like, it's like that was, you all know the purpose of that was to help black people. So now you're going to turn it around and, and have a, you know, come on, people. And, and I think CBS did a good report on it the other uh, the last week, Gary. But it's because it cannot it cannot sustain sunlight. When people would know what these folks are trying to do under the guise of colorblind society. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Can race and should race be a factor? Yes. Guess how many other factors that don't have a blind sense to it? Legacy. Legacy people only compete against themselves, okay? Other legacy people. Geography. If you are from Idaho or Wyoming, it's easier to get into Yale than if you were from Virginia, if you were from Maryland, if you were from Connecticut, if you were from New York, if you're from, from California. This is just the numbers. And unfortunately, the quality of the schools. <clears throat> so, <laughs> but they're still going to get someone from Wyoming. They're still going to get someone from North Dakota because of the geographical diversity that's needed, that they want, because diversity works okay that's one of the reasons why we're a great country it's because of our diversity if we wanted to not have the diverse uh, uh, student body then we will go back to the leave of the beaver days okay and don't, let me tell you we don't want to see those days you're on bonita couldn't even think about going to a big time white school gary none of your none of your, your uncles and aunts could because guess what it was against it was May not have been against the law, but it was de facto against the law, and it wasn't even, it was a joke to even think about it. And the only thing, and I stay away from using the term, the term affirmative action because they, they, they have such a negative tent to it. But I just talk about the fact that we need to use race as one of the factors, not a dominant factor, but one of the factors. Just like, you know, interview, just like your, your essay, just like your, you know, all those, you know, but not, not a major factor. So, you know, the people, people have to understand that there are a lot of factors that, that would go into uh, the admissions process because it's an imperfect process. It's an imperfect process. Yeah, so, Gary, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I'm going a little long already, and I just want to make sure people understand that the uh, decision that's coming down from the Supreme Court 
is a very monumental one because it would essentially um, turn back the, the hands of time and, and it would be very detrimental to not just black people, but to America, because as the wealth gap increases, we create more poor people and we create more poor people. We create more people on who are dependent on the federal government, keep more people on, dependent on the federal government. Guess who pays? Everybody. So, and guess what? The reason why that doesn't work is because we don't want to raise taxes. Oh, corporations. Raise, yeah, that's, that, that's the same thing because it's going to increase their price for their products. So, bottom line of it is, we don't want to raise taxes. So, we don't have the money and we're going to spend $40 billion or maybe another $40 billion on, on, on Ukraine because we're screwing that up. So, <laughs> we don't have universal American Express cards. We can just spend, spend, oh, maybe we do. Maybe we do. I don't know about that. I've got to give that some thought. Maybe that's a topic for another day. Do we have an American Express card that we can just put any amount of money on? Welcome back. How are you, Gary Jr.? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm doing very well. Doing very well also. Yes, finally heating up here and... Uh, as far as the temperature is concerned and heating up as far as the NBA is concerned. But, you know, Gary, um, you, you have any questions for me to start the show? We, we see what yeah. direction we want to go into that today. I'm open. So, to, so today I would like to talk about politics because oh. a lot of things have been going on this week. Okay. Um, and I wanted to know, you know if you have any comments on the President Trump situation, former oh. President Trump situation. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a... It is a historic time, Gary, and I am funny you should mention this topic because I'm actually literally writing the column uh, for it right now, and I wasn't sure whether or not it was going to be on the, uh, the former President Donald Trump situation, and and then, I don't know, words just came to me, so I started putting things on paper, so it probably will be, and as you know, Gary, my column comes out every every Wednesday evening. It's kind of a funny type situation where... I really submit it Wednesday after four or five o'clock and then we finish it whenever. Yeah. So, cause editors have to look at it and all that. So, and sometimes I put two in the can at the same time, not, not, you know, sure about which one I want to go with, but right now I, I think I'm going to go with one that has to do with the Trump situation because it, it is very historic, Gary. Um, it, the, the nation's at a, at a crossroads, so to speak. Um, We've never seen a, a situation where the leading candidate for a political party has been um, has been arrested. Now that won't officially happen until until early this week, but it's it's uh, it's going to happen. He has been indicted on thirty seven or so charges, um, and that's a, that's a lot of charges. And each one could well, he could be one hundred and thirty, I guess, by the time you get out of jail, convicted on on all of them. Um, yeah, you know, may not be convicted on any of them. We'll see how things work out here, but it's um, it's one in which when you look at the various TV shows, uh, you know, the Democrats and the liberal media, you know, they're like uh, popping champagne bottles, and I it, it's which is I think kind of sad, and I think that um, the whole situation is one that will affect all of us potentially, not just one political party over the other, but. When you have a person who is clearly the front runner for one of the two parties being uh, being arrested, it, it's um, it's it's 
it brings it begs the question: or, or, or Would the DOJ be interfering with an election? So that's uh, obviously one thing that I will 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 talk about in my column this this week. But I will also do a general analysis of what took place, Gary, and I will also look at uh, what will happen next. What will happen next, and what should happen next? I'll get into that as well in, in the column, and then uh, talk about the seriousness of it. And, you know, always, Gary, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't really wear a Republican or a Democrat hat. I try to wear an American hat because uh, what's important to me is that um, this country moves forward and that um, we don't have a situation where our enemies will take advantage of us and hurt us. And, and I'm, I'm both sensitive to that, I'm very sensitive to what, what's happening with, with uh, some, of the, some of our foes, international foes that are out there. And to me, that that takes um, priority over one man. <laughs> so one man should not be allowed to determine the fate of 320 some odd million Americans, especially when he's not in office and especially when he's not a clear and present danger. So um, that's my bigger, bigger concern. And, uh, and granted, uh, the election is important because that's coming up in, in, in 2024. Uh, this arrest, you know, I've talked about it in one column. Is it, One time I, I wrote that um, it's like arresting the bartender on the Titanic for spiking drinks, you know, or for watering down drinks. Yeah, guilty, but don't you have more important things to do? <laughs> you know, so, because you're on the Titanic. You don't realize that the iceberg's all around you because you're too busy going after that bartender was watering down drinks and and so that that's that's one of the aspects and i i um you will will probably talk about that in in the column to a certain degree um but you know no man's above the law a crime's a crime but uh we have to we have to understand that um jaywalking is a crime too and and you know we don't uh, get too carried away with that crime because of one reason that reason being nothing really happened, you know, so other than your tray walking, but if it affects traffic or someone got hit or if the cars went on through, that's a problem. Then, you know, you got problems. Person should have, uh, have to suffer a penalty for that. Um, fine or arrest or whatever, but you don't see a lot of people getting arrested for jaywalking, but because it doesn't really change the life of people or change the status of things. So I'm going to be as, as, as I always Think I think of myself as being as, as being uh, not partisan in this, but trying to really analyze it, and hopefully, uh, will give my readers something to uh, to think about. And hopefully, um, if there's any ray of of uh, light that would show a way in which we can get to that next step in a positive way, you know, maybe I'll throw out a recommendation or two. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have any. I'm working on it right now. But it's a very serious matter, Gary, and it's something that uh, you could say everyone kind of anticipated. I mean, he had, he's already been indicted up in New York with uh, the DA up in Manhattan, but uh, no one really took that that seriously because it's over a porn star. I mean, uh, and whether or not he paid her off the proper way to his campaign or to his personal fund, yeah, you know, I think everyone has already said who the hell cares. But um, this is different. This is a totally different type of situation and far more more serious than how he paid off a porn star. Now, there's other ones going on as well. 
potentially. You have uh, the January 6th matter before a grand jury in Washington, D.C., that the people are watching to see what will happen there. After all, many of the people who participated in that January 6th episode up there, right, or whatever you want to call it, um, sedition, whatever you want to call it, um, they got arrested and they have been sentenced. So uh, it's, it's a, that's an, an issue that uh, uh, Donald Trump could be associated with in a criminal type manner as well. And then last, and I'm not, not, none of these are at least, I'm not putting them in any priorities other than the one that happened this past week, because that's, that does come to the top of the top of the food chain, so to speak. But the, uh, the one that I'll mention last has to do with the, uh, the Georgia situation, which uh, has some ties to uh, um, trying to get officials to uh, change the election in some shape, form or fashion. Uh, I think the quote was, find me, find me X number of votes. Um, that kind of flippant remark from a guy who never was in politics until he was in politics is something that um, people say. You know, people say, I got to find some votes. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that you want to cheat and find some votes. It just means you, you are down X number of votes that you need to make up. So that's, I think that's going to be somewhat of a, of a stretch of the, three or four or five, whatever situations that are going on with Trump. But um, I, I'm most concerned about uh, this country and, and, the, and the threats that we face as a country. I, I believe that the, what's happening at the border is nothing more than, than an unconventional manner of war. You know, it's, it's, it's just as Gary. And, and, and you have to remember that when people have won wars, they've won it. Big wars that are historic wars or big battles that are historic battles. They've won it via the use of unconventional means, okay? When Goliath went up against David, he didn't go up there with a sword. He didn't go up there with, with a helmet and all these other things. No. Goliath, who stood, I don't know how tall, eight, nine feet tall, walked toward this kid, didn't even have any armor on or anything. And David was fine because David had an unconventional weapon. His unconventional weapon was a slingshot and a stone. Hit the guy in the head, hit Goliath in the head, knocked him down. Took, his, took Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. Who saw that happening? Nobody. Now, who, getting back to not seeing anything, not seeing it happen until it happened, you have the, the, the case of the Native Americans. They had their bows and arrows. They probably had a, a zillion bows and arrows. They probably could have won every bows and arrow war in the history of man. That's how many bows and arrows they probably had. I'm making this up, obviously. But it didn't make any difference because... The Europeans had what? Gunpowder. <laughs> so in a gun, you know, that speeding bullet analogy, will defeat a bow and arrow, okay? And that's what happened. And that that was an unconventional method of winning. The Europeans did not come over to the United States to, to, this, to America and say, okay, let's go, let's, let's duke this out with bows and arrows. No, they did not. They did something that the Native Americans had no idea was coming, and they did it. Another example would be World War II. The people had no idea that America had America had, an, had a nuclear weapon. They were duking it out with tanks and duking it out with ships and duking it out with planes. Well, the United States has ended it all with an unconventional weapon, that being a nuclear bomb. So I see this, this method today, Gary, of, of what's happening at the border as being a true crisis in a war, an unconventional war, where people are just coming across the borderline you know, we have no idea who these folks are. We have no idea what they're bringing with them. We have no idea about anything. We don't even know where they are in America. 
no one would have ever thought 10, 20, 40 years ago that we will be in a situation today where our borders are not being protected. So we have very serious matters before us. And I'm just, just, just going to leave it on, on at that point, Gary, and, and, and say that you know, the, Trump is Trump. Okay, that's the situation. That's something that's going on. But we, we really have to have to not think that the bartender is going to, the rest of the bartender is going to change America. We cannot think that, that um, you know, all these people coming across the border are coming across the borders for good reasons that they're coming across the border because they're looking for a better opportunity. You know, we have to, we, we can't be that stupid because many of these people are coming across the border because they don't like us and they want to do bad things to us. Face it. If you want to be naive enough to think, to not think that, and the way Biden and, and, and Harris are handling this is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely. I'm telling you, if Dorothy Eisenhower were around today, if John F. Kennedy were around today, Lyndon Johnson were around today, Brown, you know what they all have in common, Gary? They're all ex-military guys. They're all military guys, and they would never, 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 never allow this to be going on that we're seeing there. But we're worried about the bartender. So I, I just want to make sure that people understand that, unfortunately, some people are great politicians, and they play politics too much and try to have that upper hand politically and can get use of the media to help them with their upper, upper hand because the media will just regurgitate what they say over and over and over and over again. And you think that, you know, the world's going to come to an end if you don't do something with that bartender. You know, and the bottom line of it is, <laughs> the bottom line of it is we have very serious issues confronting us in America today. I, and one of my other columns, Gary, I'm going to digress one more second. You know, President Biden told us that sanctions were going to work and prevent Russia from going into Ukraine. Didn't work. They went to Ukraine. Then you say he never said that, but bottom line of it is it will, it will help stop, stop the Russians. Never did. $40 billion later, and thousands of lives later, the war is still is still going on in, in Ukraine. And so, you know, it's um we have some serious issues, Gary, and 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 I just want to um let my listeners know that in, in this week's column I will take on the Donald Trump uh, such matter. And I believe and I hope that they will find it insightful and helpful in their deliberation as to the pickle that we're in at this point and how um, God willing we can we can make lemonade lemonade or just turn it around in some shape form or fashion at least do what we need to do to make sure our country is protected that's the most important thing as far as I'm concerned so President Biden trying to convince America that these sanctions were so magical CNN last weekend came out and said, in fact, they showed a map. And when I looked at the map, Gary, I saw saw the whole map was like red. And then at the top of the map, it was a little green. At the top of the map, it said, countries that do not support the United States on sanctions on Russia because of their invasion of Ukraine. And the moderator said, that represents between 60 and 70% of the world. It's not with the United States. So Biden has united the world against 
us. <laughs> That's what he's done. Oh, wow. We, we, we got the world behind. No, you have white people behind you. You have Europe behind. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And you're supposed to have NATO behind you. If you can't get NATO behind you when you're part of NATO, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I mean, we're not technically. Yeah, we are part of NATO, so to speak. You know, whether we're fish. Yeah, we are. We are. So bottom line of it is, bottom line of it is, you can't get NATO with you. <laughs> well, but 60 to 70% of the world is not supporting us on this Ukraine situation. So we have serious, serious problems. And they've united Russia and China as well against us. We're to the point where they won't even take Biden's call. The president of China, premier, the leader of China, the leader, they won't even take his call. And don't even get me started on the fist bump with Saudi Arabia, the major producer of oil. You know, it, it's it's really, really a precarious time for us. And we're worried about the bartender watering down drinks. You know, we used to be worried about those icebergs that are all over the place. All we have to do is hit one of them, we have a problem. And so, Gary, that's that's the um, kind of a big, the beginning of what the, I'm not sure if I'm going to have that in the column, ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, I'm just writing it, I know. So, but I did want to kind of touch upon some of those points. Many of them I've actually uh, talked about, or I should say written about in my past columns, where you can find my columns, by the way, and, and trip, just Google uh, my name, Gary Frankson, under Tribune Content Agency, that's who I uh, work for, uh, the part of the Chicago Tribune, and um, scores of paper. I'm not going to get how many how many papers, but there's a lot of papers that I'm in nation, nationwide, and and uh, you can get at least the last six or seven or, or eight of them if you just go to uh, to Tribune Content Agency. Um, been doing this, as you know, Gary, for about two years now. I started because of uh, I started writing columns because of George Floyd. You knew, you knew that, right, Gary? That that's one of the reasons why. That was my first one that I wrote. Yes, correct. I do remember uh, when you even started writing it and how excited you were to write, uh, to start writing, because like it, um, it was during the pandemic time. That's it right. A, and it yeah. was a great uh, time for you to just sit down and just get all your thoughts together. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, obviously it was a tragic situation, uh, George Floyd. We, we had started the uh, podcast around that time as well. And you guys encouraged me to put down some of my thoughts on paper and, and the Boston Globe decided to run it. So, um, and one thing led to another and now, oh boy, I guess in, in two or three years, that's, that's a lot of columns. I guess over hundred and between a hundred and 150 columns I've written over, over that time, that time period. So um, I'm not sure if you can find them all by doing, uh, Tribune content agency, um, and with my name, but you, you can, you know, obviously go to my Twitter site. They have all of them or go to my Facebook site. They have all of them or go to my LinkedIn site. They have all of them. You just scroll down and you see them all. So. Is there something from your columns that you also want to speak on? Well, um, you know, Gary, I, I talked about um, associate justice, uh, Clarence Thomas and, and, and my strong, um, regret of, of supporting 
Justice Thomas for his um, confirmation. And, and you could say, well, you're a congressman, you don't get involved with confirmation. Well, in this situation, I did, because I was the only black Republican in Congress at the time. And now there's a, there's a number of black Republicans in Congress, Senate as well as the House, thank God. Um, but but at the time, there was nobody. And, and so if I had spoken out against Clarence Thomas, it would have been a, it could have been, I'm not saying it would have been, but it could have been a problem for the Bush administration. And so I, uh, I more or less uh, strongly asked to uh, have a chance to meet with him and to interview him more or less, and also to um, investigate his background. And I endorsed him because he did work. It seemed as though he was working hard to clear up the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's backlog of lawsuits against major corporations and government government agencies. And I applauded that. I thought it was fantastic because getting a settlement is a lot better than going through the um, the jury process and the trial process, which can go on for for quite some period of time. So he did a good job in cleaning that up, and I came out right after and endorsed him. But what he has been doing of late, Gary, and I'm not getting into uh, some of the pe- some of the things that have been in the news as far as people compensating. I guess I'm getting into it. Uh, people um, doing things that have been that have been questionable. So I'm not going to get into that. But, but the bottom line of it is, I went to a conference, a three day conference at the old Parkland Conference in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I've been thrown out of places, you know, I don't, I don't brag about it. There's nothing to brag about. But, you know, the Congressional Black Caucus gave me the boot. And this um, was very similar. To, uh, you know, I said something, I questioned people, and they asked me to get out. <laughs> so <laughs> now you can say, wow, how did you do Well, what was happening, Gary, is that some, some Asian-Americans who are suing Harvard and UNC were part of a panel. And I think these were the actual plaintiffs, even though their names are not known. But anyhow, they identify themselves as the actual plaintiffs of it or representatives of the actual actual plaintiffs. And they're trying to to remove race as a factor in admissions and, and, and colleges. And, you know, it's a creep and, you, you know, you keep creeping. All of a sudden you have no black. It's back to, to the days of the 1960s when you had Governor George Wallace standing in front of the University of Alabama saying, you know, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Well. What did that mean? That meant no blacks at Alabama. And this was a creep toward this effort that they're making is a creep toward that. And they basically said it. They basically said black people should only go to HBCUs. Why? Because it's better for them. What? Why? Because uh, they feel more comfortable there. And then they also got into that they would probably do better at those those schools. So I got a little upset with that. So uh I just forcefully um, addressed the issue with them in front of a couple, maybe a hundred people or so. And they had it all on film so people can try to go find it. And you'll see that I handled myself like a gentleman, I believe, uh, though I was accused of not being too kind to those individuals who were on the stage. But I think I was. The fact that they couldn't handle the questions, not my fault. The fact that they had no response, it's not my fault. The fact that they looked bad after getting the questions, it's not my fault. But so... You know, their, 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 their response, the leaders of the organization's response was to ask me to get out of town. And so, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> that's in one of my columns. And, uh, you know, I thought about the whole thing. This was after having lunch with Clarence Thomas and along with eight, nine other, eight other people in which 
I thought I was going to throw up at the table. It was so bad as far as his berating of black people. And I had to set him straight because he was absolutely wrong. He was wrong on so many accounts. And I was not going to allow the other eight people at the table, all of them, most of them white, to, to think that this guy was telling the truth. I was, I was at Yale when he was at Yale. But he was in the law school. I was in undergraduate school. And I listed, list, I gave a list of black individuals at Yale who had done phenomenally, phenomenally well. And their parents thought, oh, well, black people struggle. No, not the guy who finished, not the people who finished in three years. <clears throat> not, not the guy who went on to become a Fortune 500 CEO chairman. <clears throat> not the guy who went on to become one of the world, world's best neurosurgeon. <clears throat> not the, I mean, I can go on now, now. So the bottom line of it is, I, I said, and, I said after that session, Gary, and after I realized that the next day that this was really nothing more than a rally for folks who were against black people being in white schools. That's all that it was about. And that's what that's what they all believed. They all believed that that they were doing they were really doing what was best for black people by not allowing them to go to black the white the white schools. Keep in mind that in integrated schools, the history would show that when black or people of color go to schools that are integrated, guess what? They do very well. <laughs> and for black people who go to school that are segregated, don't do as well. Now, that's because of the 1954 Brown versus the Board of Education decision. They knew that back then, about 70 years ago, that separate but equal, guess what? Does not work. <laughs> that's clear. You're on the Supreme Court. You are justice. You are supposed to be upholding the laws. That's one of them, which says separate but equal does not work. And what these folks, part of that old, old Parkland Conference crowd were trying to trying to say, is that separate but equal was all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You know, it, it, to me, it's, it's, uh, it was so, dis, so despicable. Yeah, I can use comparisons, but I want to be kind. But the bottom line of it is that the Supreme Court, the other members of the Supreme Court, listen to anything, listen to it. I mean, anything that Clarence Thomas says on race and takes it as a as as the gospel and takes it as this is what's good for black people. They're crazy because the man is on a different planet when it comes to black people and the black experience and reality, as far as I'm concerned, because what I heard at that table, they didn't match reality. And what I was hearing at that conference did not match reality. It matched what they wanted to portray, but it did not match America. And everything that they were saying, I mean, everything they were saying on that issue would only result in fewer black people going to the top schools. And why is that so important, Gary? Because of the wage and income gap that we already have in America, it will get worse. And unfortunately, I know this for a fact because I worked for Fortune 500 companies, we only recruited at the top schools. Boom, that's it. So if you wanted to work for top, one of my one of the companies I worked for, Continental Can or Cheeseboro Ponds or whatever you know companies I worked for, you could not if you went to a certain school. You never had an opportunity. You just send your resume in blindly. Good luck with that. But you never had an opportunity. When we set up, I was in charge of the college recruiting program for one of those Cheeseboro Pond thing. It was. Yeah, I think of Unilever. Now it's part of Unilever. I set up the schedule for for the, for the colleges we were going to go to, with the guidance of the chairman of the board. We only went to the top schools. We paid them very, very, very well. 
But if you went to another school, that could be a good school. I'm not saying that there's a negative. I'm not making the other schools and turning that into a negative. I'm just giving you reality. The top companies that pay the big bucks do not go to certain schools. <laughs> okay, they only go to the top schools. So what do the Asian Americans? What does Clarence Thomas want to do? Stop blacks from going to the top schools. What is that going to result in? The wage and income gap for black people is going to get wider. The opportunities for black people are going to get fewer, be fewer. And George Wallace is going to get what he wants out of, out of his grave. So these people must be stopped. And I beg the Supreme Court folks to realize that don't use the 14th Constitutional Amendment against black people. That is, that, that, that's like so cynical. It's like, it's like, it's like how, that was, you all know the purpose of that was to help black people. So now you're going to turn it around and, and have a, you know, come on, people. And, and I think CBS did a good report on it the other uh, the last week, Gary. But it's because it cannot it cannot sustain sunlight. When people would know what these folks are trying to do under the guise of colorblind society. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> Let's put it this way. Can race and should race be a factor? Yes. Guess how many other factors that don't have a blind sense to it. Legacy. Legacy people only compete against themselves, okay? Other legacy people. Geography. If you are from Idaho or Wyoming, it's easier to get into Yale than if you were from Virginia, if you were from Maryland, if you were from Connecticut, if you were from New York, if you're from, from California. This is just the numbers. And unfortunately, the quality of the schools. <clears throat> so, <laughs> but they're still going to get someone from Wyoming. They're still going to get someone from North Dakota because of the geographical diversity that's needed, that they want, because diversity works, okay? That's one of the reasons why we're a great country. It's because of our diversity. If we wanted to not have the diverse uh, student body, then we will go back to the leave of the beaver days, okay? And don't, let me tell you, we don't want to see those days. Your Aunt Benita couldn't even think about going to a big time white school, Gary. None of your none of your your uncles and aunts could because of, guess what? It was against it was may not have been against the law, but it was de facto against the law, and it, it wasn't even it was a joke to even think about it. And the only thing, and I stay away from using the term the term affirmative action because they, they they have such a negative tant to it. But I just talk about the fact that we need to use race as one of the fact, not a dominant factor, but one of the factors, just like. You know, interview, just like your your essay, just like your you know all those you know, but not not a major factor. So, you know, the people people have to understand that there are a lot of factors that that would go into uh, the admissions process because it's an imperfect process. It's an imperfect process. Yeah. So, Gary, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I'm going a little long already, and I just want to make sure people understand that the uh, decision that's coming down from the Supreme Court is a very monumental one because it would essentially um, turn back the, the hands of time and, and it would be very detrimental to not just black people, but to America, because as the wealth gap increases, we create more poor people and we create more poor people. We create more people on who are dependent on the federal government, keep more people dependent on the federal government. Guess who pays? Everybody. So, <laughs> and guess what? The only reason why that doesn't work is because we don't want to raise taxes. Oh, Corporations, yeah, that's that's the same thing because it's going to increase their price for their products. So, bottom line of it is, we don't want to raise taxes. So, 
if you don't have the money and we're going to spend $40 billion or maybe another $40 billion on, on, on Ukraine because of screwing that up. So <laughs> we don't have universal American Express cards. We can just spend, spend, oh, maybe we do. Maybe we do. I don't know about that. I've got to give that some thought. Maybe that's a topic for another day. Do we have an American Express card that we can just put any amount of money on? 